0: everyone how's it going welcome to the know your gear podcast number 252 although it says right here plainly 152 on the screen so obviously you know (laughs) it's the kind of production team we have around here (laughs) i'm gonna have to get on the director and the editors and all the staff that being said let's get into some guitar talk guitar questions thank you guys for joining me jeremy c says hey phil do you think the fender guys are going to come up with a new product or a to uh, To replace the the Super Champ X2s, I would really hope so. I really feel like that was a product that was, as you guys know, I, when I started my channel, I just praised that amp, and I still praise that amp. The Super Champ X2s are a little harder to praise now, although I still love them. They're five hundred bucks. I mean, they were really cool, right? When they were three fifty new for the combo and three hundred for the head, and you could pick them up all day long for two hundred bucks used. Those days just seem so far away. Fantastic amplifier. They were made in Mexico. They had digital effects, but they also had preamp tubes and a a power tube, I should say. They had a power tube and a preamp tube, but it was really for the power section. Fantastic product. I really like them. I don't know if they'll ever bring it back. You know, um, it's tough. It's a tough thing. Right now, you got to understand there's obviously, you can imagine they have supply chain issues. And I've said this at the beginning. I would imagine a lot of companies are going to dial down the menu. And speaking of menus, I think restaurants are going to do it. Do you need 7,000 different product lines when you can't get half of them delivered? It's really common in a market like this for the manufacturers to streamline and focus down to less product SKUs and stick on the ones that are really working for them and try to ensure them to being in stock for the dealers and the customers. And that seems to be a focus. And you can see more and more dealers doing that. So it's just, it's how it is. When it's a seller's market and there's a supply chain issue... You're going to see them go, hey, take it or leave it. I know we don't make all the things you love, but we make the things you really love. And if you don't like that, tough luck because this is what we got. I think that's why you see like a product like that. The other thing you have to deal with is now with everything else that's been going on the last couple years, we've now just added a new problem to the amplifier market, which is they will be no tubes from russia we were already having supply chain issues with tubes again we're never going to be political on the channel we're not going to talk about any of this stuff just gear i just want to let you know that a year ago in february manufacturers were it had issues with tubes so the situation of tubes has not gotten better it's gotten worse i don't think a whole lot of companies are going to want to go hey how do we get more tube amps so we can have again another problem it's just another problem they're all going to have to deal with especially an amp like that where i think then it was 15 watts i can't I can't remember does anyone remember if i had two 6l6s and one 12ax7 i believe somebody uh you know knows for sure I, that's what i remember the amp having in this market if you were them would you want to create an amplifier with two 6l6s and a 12ax7 when it's hard to get those tubes i talked about this the last recession uh you know the last recession we had the 2008 recession that it, it kind of everybody you know knows what, what we're talking about i always feel like that hyper accelerated the internet especially the usage of the internet again we're talking about our world the guitar musical industry world more people during the recession went and started buying their gear from musicians friend and sweetwater. And sweetwater, boom, think about this. Sweetwater kind of took off during the recession. Remember the retailers, the mom and pops, the first problem they had with Sweetwater and Musician Friend was it was already eight to ten percent cheaper buying from them just because of sales tax back in the day. So that really, when everybody was really focused on their money, especially on things you don't need and you want to save a dollar, you barely can justify the dollar you're spending, much less the dollar eight that you got to spend. That's kind of what accelerated that. You see things like this during the pandemic, things that happened during the pandemic, things that happened during the world events that's happening now, have a possibility, if not already, but also could possibly right now, Accelerate other problems the industry has been having. And one of those has been tube amps have been a problem. They've been a problem for many years. The cost of tubes continue to go up. There are manufacturers that have talked about this, but Dave Freeman's one of the ones that's freely talked about how difficult it was pre COVID to get quality tubes, (laughs) right? I've talked to some amp manufacturers that were telling me that they were throwing half the tubes they were getting away pre COVID. So supply chain issues add that, add this. Tubes are going to be a problem. That's our tube talk. We have Red. Ray, what does Ray want to talk about? He says, how do I get into martial lamps? Question mark. I know nothing about the models. Sure. <laughs> How do you get into them? Well, it's pretty simple, man. Basically, in today's day and age uh, with Marshalls, you're not probably going to buy all the hundred watt heads, right? To me, the the core Marshalls you're going to be probably looking at if you're new to Marshall as JCM 2000, JCM 800 and then the Plexi. Those are the three. Of course, right now people are like the Silver Jubilee, the 900. That's the key. <laughs> like there's going to be all this stuff. The JVM. There's so many Marshalls, and that's probably why he's uh, going crazy. So here's what I want to tell you. Uh, I I think the most versatile of the three amps for the average player is going to be the JCM 2000, which is also going to be the more, uh, DSL series, right? If I was going to suggest, um, a Marshall, especially I see you pay, uh, paid the super chat CAD, which I think is in Canada, right? If you're in Canada too, right? I think the DSL series, you can pick up one on the cheap. And especially if you're getting into something, you know what I mean? The whole thing about today's day and age, if you're going to get into an amp, and you may not like it, it would be nice to be able to get out of it for what you paid. If you pick up a used DSL amp, you can uh, get out of it. <laughs> There's always somebody looking for a DSL amp. Um, and so that's the one I would suggest before I would go to like maybe the Studio Series, the 800, the Plexi, where they're, you're probably going to be into it for a grand. You can pick up the DSL 15, DSL 20, DSL 40s for a good deal. And although that's a more modern Marshall sound, you'll, you know, you you back it off, you'll get some 800 territory there. It'll give you the Marshall vibe. That's where I would start. That's where I would suggest start. The other suggestion would be the Origin Series amps. That's more of the plexi vibe to me in my head. That's more of the vintagey Marshall vibe. And again, very affordable. I would stick to things that are affordable when it comes to dipping into a brand and checking it out and getting a sense of it. Stick to the things that are affordable, readily available, and easy to get out of, which is used a lot of times um, because that's, that's the best thing about this, right? Um, trying, to, trying not to spend a fortune to have an experience, uh, which is something you can do in this, uh, which is great in music. Okay, so this one's from Brandon C. He says, "Hey Phil, sorry you had a bad experience with your Gibson Custom Shop Sixties Custom Shop. I recently got a 2020 R8 Custom Shop Standard, and it is truly magical. Yeah, well, I have an R9, and I thought I think it's truly magical as well. I love it. it; feels like its own burst. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a fantastic instrument. I I have a few Gibsons that are fantastic. The issue is is always, and it will always be with the channel is is my unless I change the philosophy, which is." not something i I intend to do anytime soon i like the saying play it where it lands it's a you know um whatever shows up that's what you know that's what it is and we talk about that and in that case that one was not so great um and of course the bigger problem was it was really expensive and not that great i can tell you this did it did it sour me to the gibson brand no but am i gonna ever dish out that kind of money for a gibson no i don't i don't think i'll ever dish out that much that was really a okay I felt, I don't know what got me that crazy to go, okay, I think I'm going to do this. (laughs) And to have that experience, uh, which like I said, the retailer did a fantastic job, but to have a, like a, wow, you know, I, I just kind of, you know, I don't, I'm not interested to do it again. So that will be my last Gibson custom shop. Not because I think all custom shops are bad. It's just, you know, that'll be the last one for at least for a long time. Um, because I've found a lot of things I just like a little bit more, and they're just not nearly, not even in the realm of the same expense. We're going to try and be professional now. It says, I got a Fizzy. This is from Matt. He says, I got a fizzy, fizzy MT-15. Okay, let's figure it out if that's the tone or the problem, because I love the MT-15, but it's, I would call it a Fizzy amp. I mean, all those 5150-esque amps are fizzy uh it's uh left me kind of salty about the amp sure i can make i understand that i've decided to take it back what's something similar i could look into um again you're saying fizzy and i don't know if it's defective or if it's just the sound the uh the 5150 the um i'm looking around. My, uh, Engel, you know uh fireball the m t fifteen the archon the soldano s l o thirty um I'm looking around the room and stuff the bogner uh um the bogner uh, uh ecstasy thirty four fifty four whatever the heck the thirty watt one Those are all fizzy amps to me. The Mark V Mini and the Mark V are fizzy amps. I mean, those high-gains amps are sometimes like a can of bees uh, going crazy. And uh, to me, there's a time and place for that, you know, when I play that stuff. You know, some some players play that sound all the time. Me, I like more of the – I like the pissed-off Marshall sound. That's what I love. Like, that's to me when I'm – you know, that's why I like the Friedman amps, you know. And I like Marshalls, but that's why I like Friedman amps. Friedmans are – you know, the hot rodded Marshall thing is not only just Freeman, there's tons of amp companies. It, to me, it's the Marshall, you know, it's like a, to me, a Marshall, like a Freeman amp and all those type brands that do the modded Marshall vibe thing. To me, it's like a muscle car all tweaked out. Just no one should get in this car. Like the seatbelt doesn't even connect right. and it only goes across your lap. <laughs> the engine's sticking out of the hood three feet, <laughs> right? And, and the person who modded it had, no professional experience whatsoever. But you know you're in for it when you hit the gas pedal. That's kind of how I like an amp to be. <laughs> I like the amp to be just ready, raw, raucous, go, crunch. And I'm in heaven when I'm in that sound. But a lot of the high-gain amps are, of course, of course, I like a lot of metal music, and the high-gain amps do that. But also in low volumes, metal amps, like the MT-15 stuff, that fizzy sound is really nice, distorted, kind of, Fun for lower play um so my my suggestion to you matt is stay away from all of those type of amps i just said um if you didn't like the mt15 but you like obviously amps that are hegani the runt to me now again it's a much more expensive amplifier. even used you're going to be looking at a grand for the run so you're gonna be stepping up in price tag um and but if you need a more economical version that puts you in more in the mt15 range you might want to think about some of the eggnator amps like the Agnator Twe- tweaker or the rebel 20 those will get you in that range that that crunch like i said like i said think of it this way it's going to give you the hot rotted you know rock sound and not so much the metal sound and that may be what you're not digging as much um and uh uh, uh, orange amps kind of, they'll do that. They, you know, like the, the terror amp series will get you uh, a lot of gain fizzy, but again, more of that Britishy crunch kind of thing going on looking around to, and just not to see what I have, but kind of think about what I'm, what I've tried in the past too. And what I have reviewed on the channel that will get you there. Those are all great suggestions are, you know, those are all suggestions that will get you out of that, uh, that style amp or uh, if your mt15 is not defective uh and it's just that fizzy tone the clean channel on the mt15 is fantastic maybe just a pedal in front of it another suggestion so all right craig says hey phil uh talk me into or out of swapping the mesa black shadow for a cream back in my f50 (laughs) we'll be right back you still loading them and heating them up with all your single shit you've been dropping. You yeah. feel me? Loading them up on it, it only takes structure, and, and you know just paying attention to the climate of the game. Yeah, I mean. So do do your homies uh got a role in your in your little? You mean yeah yeah we all we all artists over here man. I'm y'all already? Yeah, oh, yeah, I'm trying, oh, yeah. I'm trying, I'm trying, yeah. I'm trying to get them on there. Yeah, quiet. Look, look, look. We all artists, man. We go. You feel me? We gonna have this like. Bro, me and my man, like me and my man, Kyle, we be like, I don't know, we play, we play with this <laughs> shit. Right play right with now. This I got to lie, we play with this shit right now for, for oh, a lie. Don't play with don't it. Play with it nah. Take that shit. Sir. Well, talk you into it or out to it, uh, out of it. Let me put it this way: the black shadow is going to be very dark. Com- the cream back is going to put all the life and the mids and highs in that amp. Okay, but you're gonna lose the muscle. <laughs> like I have no muscle. Here's my fake muscle. You feel what the fill is cooking. It's cooking black shadow. <laughs> so black shadow to me is, uh, it's all muscle, but the cream back is all the sparkle tones, all the, all the high mids. Uh, so that's, so that's the answer to your question, which one should, you know, talk you in or out of it. Be prepared. Um, you know what I mean. One thing I will tell you, and again, it's been a while since I played the F50, and you know, the uh, here's something I would suggest to you: is you might, if you EQ correctly the amp, put a little bit more highs, uh, a little bit more of the top end on the amp. You might get the black shadow speaker into the cream back territory. It won't be the same, but it'll get you in there. It'll get you that that you know, you hit a cord and it snaps out on the highs and you're like, yeah, that's kind of the cream back thing, man. The cream backs, like the green backs, they, they break up. You also don't have to run the gain on the amp as hard. You can let the speaker do a little bit of the work, which that cream back will do. Uh, it'll like the, like a green back, it'll break up on its own. So you're getting a little bit of the cone, uh, distortion. However, you will not be able to put the low end in the cream back, even though I think the creamback has great lows because I have creambacks and green backs. And that's what I like about cream backs. There. A little bit more lows than the greenbacks, um, and there's something I want to do a caveat on that too with the creamback. Um, the The black shadow will it will never have the lows of the black shadow in in my experience. That also being said, um, I have greenbacks and creambacks, and I love them both. As you know, I'm a vintage thirty guy, so majority of everything has vintage thirties. But what I like about creambacks is, um, personally, is I you know a lot of times people like the old vintage. Uh, greenbacks. Like I, I have old British broken in ones from that are 30 years old and they just, they just are magical. And the new ones are a little bit more harsh and you got to, I guess, break them in, of course, but also even broken in. I don't know if they, they still seem harsh to me. The creambacks, they give me a sound closer to what old greenbacks do. So, but like I say, I always say everybody's mileage may vary and they might hear things differently. So some, some people probably agree with me. Some people will disagree with me something to think about either way. Well, what are we going to talk about now? We're going to talk about what Matthew wants to talk about. He says, he listed three guitars for sale yesterday and he bought a new one today. <laughs> Must be the day that ends in why. Yes, Matthew, that is the way it works, <laughs> which is why I caution everybody. I love it when everybody goes, Phil, I was thinking about downsizing my rig and I always have to remind people, in my experience, when uh, when people downsize, they uh, slightly upsize back again. It's just uh, how it works. So uh, so that's why you sometimes going to want to think about what you're getting rid of. I I uh, when I get rid of guitars, uh, especially guitars, <laughs> more than anything else. Uh, for, for me, it's a little hard now because it's literally because of the YouTube channel. I just have so much stuff coming in. Again, I don't get all to keep all this stuff, but just it's here all the time. There's, there's on any given day, there's 10 guitars here, which may sound like a lot, may not sound like a lot, but it's a lot because it's 10 guitars. And if they have cases, it's 10 guitars. Let's not say 10 cases, but let's say seven cases, 10 guitars, seven cases and 10 boxes. I can't get rid of until the video is filmed, edited, <laughs> put on YouTube. So I know that there's no issues. And then we can deal with the RA labels and getting those guitars back to the manufacturers. So there's always just stuff here. And because of that, sometimes I just get really sick of it. Although I love still doing this. I get like, ah, I just got to get rid of some guitars and I can't get rid of the guitars that are here visiting because even if I did, <laughs> there's more coming, which is uh, how it works. And, um, uh, so like I said, I understand uh, what everybody's going through <laughs> probably on a 10 on steroids. Okay. Okay. Don says, "Hey Phil, I'm looking to buy an, a 335 style guitar. Uh, the two guitars that I'm looking at are the Epiphone ES335 and the D'Angelico Premier DC semi uh, semi hollow body. In your opinion, which is better? Um, I will be it will be used to play the blues. They are different to me in just like behind me. I also have the uh, the Sire one, which the review on that is coming." Uh, in fact, it's, it's filmed. It's just, I got to edit. So, um, and so you guys know, <laughs> I just want to share this with you. I actually filmed two videos and finished them last week. If you guys noticed, I only had one video out. Um, and in fact, over the last two weeks, you might, like, you might've noticed like two videos came out not the normal four, like double two of the videos I made are finished. And I can't, well, I can't say I can't release them. I re- just chose not to re- release them because of events in the world. It wouldn't, like one of the products you 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 can't get right now, really. And the other one, it's difficult to get right now. And that happened because of world events. So I didn't decide, it, I decided to hold the videos off. So the reason I tell you that is, I, n- now you have to understand, I have to like now catch up on two other videos to get out <laughs> that, so I'm behind. So I'm just trying to say I'm just behind. Um, that being said, uh, on the two guitars, I would pick the Epiphone e 35 I love D'Angelico. I actually thought the D'Angelicos that are reviewed and the ones I played are better quality than Epiphone and the overall concept and, and things. But it sounds to me, you want a 335, you know, it's, it's interesting to say 335 style guitar, but I think you want a 335. What I've learned is, is you should get the thing you really want. E- Epiphone, the 335 Epiphone is fantastic, I've said this before. I have a Gibson ES-335. If you watch that video, I flat out say in the video, that video is like two years old now, year and a half old. I 100% stand by what I said then. I don't remember verbatim what I said, but it was the honest to God truth, which is I only bought a Gibson ES-335 because it's a good investment and a guitar. And as much as sometimes people hate that comment when somebody says it that way, you have to understand, in my world (laughs) that I live in with guitars all day, uh, ES335 Epiphone maybe costs like six, seven hundred bucks and maybe used, you can get it for five. I buy it for five used, and if in a couple of years I don't want it, maybe I'll get, maybe I'll get the five back. That's good, right? You can't hate that. Maybe you get four. Maybe if you're a little lucky, you get 550. Maybe. The ES 335 Gibson that I bought, as I said in that video, I bought from Bizarre Guitar Reno right when the pandemic happened. Uh right when everything was going to crap. And I'm like, well, I guess I'm gonna have a lot of time to practice guitar home. So he put super discounts. This is before the boom. He obviously is a retailer thinking logically, oh my goodness, there's a pandemic. We're all going to basically go bankrupt because <laughs> we can't sell guitars. And he put super crazy deals on that es 35 So you know that es 35 now is worth almost $1,000 more than I paid for it then. So, and I knew that when I bought it. So to me, it was like, I get to buy this guitar. I get to play this guitar. I get to enjoy a 335. And then if I want to sell it later, because I don't love it, because it's not about making a profit. That's not what I'm in the mood for or the market for. I'm not a guitar flipper. It's really about, I didn't know if I would dig a 335. If you look at my collection of guitars, a 335 is not a standard guitar for me. So I just wanted to give it a try. So the reason I'm telling you that is I like the Epiphone 335. I would have bought it, but I had an opportunity to get a deal on a a Gibson one. And in in the long term, it's a better investment. And uh, some people say it sounds better and plays better. Maybe it does. It probably does. But not enough to where I would notice it. So there you go. In fact, don't be shocked. (laughs) This is absolutely true. Don't be shocked at one day if I don't just decide that I can sell that guitar, that Gibson. I'll buy the Epiphone with the difference I made. And now I have a free Epiphone. That's the way my brain will work. And I actually, as a father and somebody who has, you know, a father, a provider for his family, my brain works like that all the time. You guys know, I'll go, well, let's see. <laughs> you know what I mean? it I'll have to come to decision at some point, but I'll probably come to a decision like that. Like if I, I bought this uh, Gibson and now if I sell it today, the money I made for it, which is the house's money, it's free doesn't cost me anything because I got my money back in my pockets. I buy an Epiphone. Now the epiphone's free. I get to enjoy an Epiphone and, you know, that money goes to get back in the kitty to pay for college and tires and all the other things that, you know, we pay for. So get extra gas money. <laughs> so there you go. So that's my, my insight on that and why I do things and why I can't find, oh, I well, hear it is. Okay. So the next, I just want to look at what you guys are talking about. This one is from I don't even know how to say it. <laughs> but you'll know the you'll know when I start reading it. it. Says, hey, Phil, uh, what do you think of my gas solution? Uh okay, building kit guitars with all of my favorite upgrades to replace and sell off each of my expensive OEM guitar collection for kits built so far. Um, it's a, you know, hey, it makes sense. What what it is about guitar kits is you're invested in them. There's an emotional connection. I, I personally, if I could only give one piece of b- advice to any musician, guitar player, uh, customer, collector, uh, a hobbyist, you name it, it applies to all categories. It's one of the few pieces of advice that can go like I, you could give this advice to 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 a professional rock star, to a professional studio musician, to a hobbyist. You can give it across the board. The guitars that you're emotionally connected to. Are always better. By far. It it doesn't it's you can have a guitar that plays the best, you can have it has sounds the best, but the guitar that reminds you of the time you you know you were hanging out with your brother or your sister or the guitar that reminded you, or the guitar that's connected to you. It's the guitar you always wanted when you were a kid, or the guitar that you played all your gigs with, or the guitar you wrote a Grammy on, or the guitar that was given to you, right? Or the guitar. I mean, th- those emotional connections, they just have power that you cannot, um, you cannot, you know, you cannot, you cannot artificially do that. In fact, I have, I have learned the hard way doing it and watching so many of you do it. We're constantly trying to artificially create that, right? Like, oh, I custom ordered a guitar and that, and this custom ordering will now make the guitar super connected because it's everything I want. But what you forget is everything you want, well, one, it's a pipe dream. It's never going to really happen. But more importantly, it's not about everything you want. It's about this this thing that makes you hold it closer to the chest. It's the thing that makes you play it 30 seconds longer than something else. It's the thing that makes you pick it up twice as much as the other thing. It's the thing that, like I said, living in a pot, especially in today's world and the last couple of years, living in a great memory in your head, even for 10 seconds, is better than drugs, alcohol, everything. It's just better than everything. And and if you're younger, you're creating those memories and you have to understand that, you know, like when you're younger, your big mistake that we all make is you you got this guitar and it's just not the guitar. You're not your dream guitar. And you'll work your whole life to get the dream guitar. But that dream guitar sometimes can't pay the dividend of that life you just lived with that $300 Squire. <laughs> you just can't. It just can't. And, and when you're older, you you the guitars you always wanted will have an effect. It'll have this emotional fa- effect. It'll hit the endorphins. It'll do the thing. And, of course, on multiple levels. One, you feel good because you're like, I worked hard, and now I finally can have the thing that I worked hard for, and that's a great feeling. And, of course, uh, or just, the, hey, I finally got it or, you know maybe it's, it is what you think it is. But um, you, you, like I said, those experience guitars are just too powerful. So the reason I say that is back to, um, and I think it's the didgeretti. I I don't know how, how (laughs) sorry if I'm messing up your name, but kit guitars can do that for you, right? Um, (laughs) Because here's why. Kit guitars kind of like, uh, you know, sweat equity into your home or your car. We talked about car, somebody souping up their own car, right? Shade tree mechanics, right? Um, the, the, you know, I, I've owned a lot of cars in my life, but the, you know, my Jeep Comanche that I used to have to hit the starter with a hammer to, <laughs> and lay down underneath it to hit the starter with a hammer. Cause I didn't have, I think at the time it was $134 for a new starter. So I got to milk that starter for probably seven months, and I could tell you exactly when I figured out how to get the money to buy a real starter was when it was 112 outside, which means every time I got out of the grocery store and I had to lay down on a towel to hit that starter with a hammer, uh, that ground was probably 130 degrees <laughs> or 150 degrees. I wish I was exaggerating. I mean, even in the shade underneath the truck, cause the heat from the truck and the, so long story short, instead of hating those memories, I just like that truck was great. <laughs> <laughs> so uh your your situation with your kit builds, it makes sense because like I said, that's what you should be inv- in, in, investing into is those emotions. That's the whole point. Even when we buy stuff, we're not really buying stuff for the joy. We're we're buying stuff, hoping that the thing that we get will give us the joys off those other feelings, which is the sound, the making the music. It's it's uh it's it's like I said, it's It's the one mistake I think everybody makes about not only me, but this channel, the know your gear thing. It's like always the techie geeky stuff sometimes is fun because I feel this overwhelming commitment to help save you money. And the techie geeky stuff gives you that ability, telling you guys specific things that are important, like look for this quality, look for this. This is the price point. This is this. This helps you make decisions that help your wallet. Your wallet's important. But ultimately, when you look at my passion, I'm really really more passionate about the feelings of things and like i said sometimes knowing your gears about the feeling of it not so much the specifications of it so i like your ideas basically what i'm trying to say it's a long speechy way to to say i like your idea the kit builds i don't think it would work for everybody but i think it, it would work for you and it's working for you in your situation so I can tell you this, I built a couple of kit builds now and I did them for charity and every single one of them, I am proud of them and I miss them a little. because <laughs> Not because the guitar, the guitar was great, but it was such a great experience to do those things. It says, hey, but have you ever noticed that modeling amps completely eliminates or vastly reduces the original signal coming from the pickups? Is that a thing? I read this, I don't know. Um, we can understand, first of all, modeling amps too broad, uh, of a term for all amps like because the technology that's in your katana is much different than the technology that's in your let's say your line six spider series amps and and the fact that how they get how they achieve things okay um what i can tell you about pickups and modeling technology So that makes it pretty broad, whether we're talking about high-end modeling technology or affordable modeling technology is that a lot of times because it's a technology, it's a computer to some degree, right? Some kind of processing power. That's why we say modeling. It's processing. It's doing things. One of the things that it can do, which is good is say when the signal comes in, if it's this many dB, bump it up, bump it up a little bit. And if it's this hot, up it down a little bit, right? Kind of not like a compressor, but there's a technology that does that. That's good because then everything you plug into the amp essentially does, sounds good. However, if you're really into, let's say your pickups and you want the pickups to be a little softer, sometimes the amps kind of fighting that, that, that is a little bit of that going on. Um, but again, it gets a little worse with the cheaper modeling technology and not as bad with the more expensive modeling technology. Um, I, I will tell you this with my experience with pickups and modeling technology is when I'm in a modeling type amplifier, that's not like the Kemper, the Axe FX, the Line 6 Helix, the more expensive stuff that's actually designed to emulate the amp as accurately as possible. Because that's what really the modeling is all about. Emulate an amp. But remember, it's just think of it like as simple as this. The Katana is emulating an amp tone, but it's just emulating the sound. It's maybe not trying to like, like, the technology in a katana and the thing in an axe effects. We're we're literally talking about two different technologies when it comes to how in depth they get emulating things. So the technology that's in those higher, more expensive things, uh, yeah, you can get away with actually then plugging your pickups and getting different responses and different components in the guitars getting different responses. Um, so uh, what I will tell you is is this. It kind of goes back to my little speech earlier. When it comes to the feelings and the emotional part of this, which is nice. If you don't notice it, don't worry about it. One of the things that happens when you get into music is there's a little bit of that, uh, you know, worry of like, uh, you know, the, what you're missing out on. If you like, oh, am I? Is this not getting all the tone out of this thing, or is this not doing the thing it's supposed to? To me, if if you know if you plug in and it sounds good, I don't worry about it too much. It's really about when you hate things that you need to start learning about them. So I noticed now that that's, we've evolved over the years into this new playground of, it used to be you plug in an amp and you go, I hate this. How do I make this good? Now I find players, a lot of times, will plug in something good and go, it's good. But is it is it good enough? Or is it the right kind of good? Or I heard, right? And again, I'm not making fun of that. I'm saying, I understand the seeds of doubt that get sold, uh, sown by the internet. <laughs> what I'm telling you, though, is uh, don't worry about it. If it's good, it's good. <laughs> right? If one day, you know, I love it when uh, I've heard this from a friend, this is years ago, and he was saying like, but I don't know, you know, what if it's bad this whole time and I don't know? And I go, yeah, well, even pro musicians play a tone for years and then one day wake up and go, I don't know why I like that. <laughs> I mean, there's just, that's the artistic part of our brains that are at play. Some some of the tones I, some of the tones I thought were just amazing, I plug in now and I go, what was I thinking? <laughs> So it happens all the time. Let's, uh, what else? We have, uh, Johnny did a Happy Friday, Super Chat Man. Thank you, Johnny. I appreciate that. Johnny and I are cooking up something fun for the channel. You'll see something soon. I'm pretty excited about it. I know he's excited about it. We'll just keep you guys all in suspense. <laughs> Grumpy Mike Guitar, he says, Hey, Philip, how often do you play your Dane Electro? Cheers. Um, well, uh, I haven't Played it for a while, believe it or not, for months, and then recently I just pulled it out like a couple days ago and started playing it again. But um, I play it semi-often because it's such a unique sound in guitars. Like I said in the videos, it's got a lot of mids. It really cuts through the mix. There's some cool things about it that I really like, but I got to be in the mood for that. So that's a guitar. For me, I wouldn't call that a main meal. I call it side salads, right? It's a side salad guitar. It's a guitar. When I want that sound or play that thing, I pull it out and do it, but it's not the guitar I would play daily. It's not a daily guitar. Speaking of which, Grumpy Mike, I watched your video this week. Uh, and unfortunately, I was just really crazy busy because I had some crazy stuff going on. But I was going to tell you. So uh, Grumpy Mike did a video on a Squire Affinity he bought with a flame top. It was beautiful. And one of the things, I forget the issue with the bridge. I apologize. But uh, he, one of the issues was he was, it's got a skunk stripe, a walnut skunk stripe in the back of the neck. It's a maple neck. And uh, his concern was that they didn't sand it properly and it was sticking out. So, you know, Grumpy Mike, I can tell you that this probably was sanded properly and it probably got through QA because it was probably right during QA. What happened is the neck shrunk. Um, again, in my opinion, still Fender's fault because that's, they didn't properly dry the wood. But as you probably can tell, a lot of those guitars where they don't really finish the necks and they kind of, the best I ever heard of this and I want to keep saying is I like calling those guitars fast guitars. Okay, so when you think of like inexpensive guitars, uh, you know price-friendly guitars, whatever you guys want to call them, that makes you not get upset and have to type fifty things on the internet. <laughs> uh, price-friendly guitars are fast guitars, okay if you've been to factories, I've been to so many factories, you've got to understand when you deal with more expensive guitars, before we talk about quality components, before we talk about quality training, you got to understand, it's just, there's a big difference between when an employee is like, you have you have seven minutes on each guitar. You know what I mean? I mean, anybody who's worked in a factory, seen a factory, understands how this works. This, you have a time allotted, right? It's probably no different than a lot of things like restaurants and stuff too. This is how long and then this needs to be done. When you're building guitars that are 199 299 sadly enough in this market, 299 but the 199 guitars before, it's like, done. <laughs> For those listening, I just made a bunch of hand movements. Like, do this, and then you're done. Spending extra time on things is just not allotted in fast guitar building, right? So um, so in that case, what happened was they sanded it, and then the guitar probably wasn't properly dried because when they make guitars that are fast guitars, uh, one of the things they do is they don't properly dry the wood. And so think about this. The wood in your guitar... Uh, my joke is probably still thinks it's alive because it was just probably just chopped down recently. Um, so what I'm telling you is, is you don't need to sand it. You were talking about sanding it, uh, steel wool, triple ot. I would do four aught maybe, but triple ot wood, or triple lot wood, triple ot steel wool, rub, Just rub it real fast on, uh, trust me, that lip that feels dramatic is not dramatic. You couldn't even probably measure it. <laughs> Right. Uh, It feels like when you're running your thumb across it, just trust me on this. When you really run your thumb across it, all you guys that have these skunkish skunk stripe issues, um, whether it's lifted out or the neck is shrunk down. And therefore, it's just either way, it's lifted out. It's up. um, It feels really, really dramatic. Um, He's saying it's the opposite. It's recessed in. Still, same thing, man. Just trust me on this. Just fast do it. It's not as it. It's one of those things that feels so intensely like you think it's like a millimeter or half a millimeter or something like that it's not so yeah just wipe it down they're they're just notoriously known for that so that would be the fast fix on that you can still sand it but i'm gonna tell you right now it's gonna come it's gonna go real fast with some steel wool david david says love the channel uh notice small divots in my cowboy cord position less than uh, a millimeter in width how far is it safe to polish without leveling issues? So, yes, absolutely. To me, the divots and frets... So, he's talking about his wear spots. he we have got worn-out spots in his frets from the cowboy cords, which is what we call the G, C, and D. You know, those basic cords. You're, everything above the third third fret. <laughs> it's kind of like your cowboy chords, F, you know, stuff like that. Um, and, yes, those are where you... In my experience, man, that's where you see most players wear spots in their frets because you're just holding those chords so many times, you know, especially uh, everybody's got a fancy, especially people don't play out music. (laughs) There's a really funny thing that happens to musicians. I'm just going to side thing where they get afraid of the idea of playing out with the other musicians. And then when they start playing out the musicians, they realize like, when musicians play with each other, unless they're in a band whether you're writing your own music and you're trying to be you know somewhat complicated, music gets really basic, so you end up being the person strumming those so those two or three chords <laughs> every night, and that actually is what wears out guitars that's why a lot of times. It's why it's nice to have an inexpensive guitar for those kind of things, those uh, kind of gigs, because, you know, you just wear them out and just keep going. So uh, his core question, though, is basically, is it safe to polish them uh, without having the level issues? Uh, yes, you can totally polish them. I have a video on that, you know, like how to, you know, uh, so it talks about you can use steel wool, but you want to, you know, tape off your pickups and stuff. You can use uh, 3M sheets. There's a lot of companies that package stuff. Um, I'll put a link in this video if you got, but if you Google like McKnight, polish frats or something it'll come up that's you know that's what's great about the channel having you know doing so well over the years is the videos will populate pretty easily um but uh i did a video where it's like my 10 i went through 10 of these polishing kits and the reason why that was important to me was not to show you all the different ways you can polish your frats but also to show you all the ways that these companies are just basically repackaging things you can buy really inexpensively like the magic cloth and stuff you can buy a lot of stuff just really inex- like deodaro makes a, a great polishing kit however you can probably much buy 3M sheets with the same thing for a fraction of the price. Um, so, yeah, just you can polish your uh, frets very easily that way. And yes, it's okay to polish your frets without doing any work to them and stuff. Here's why you're not going to fix them, but I've said this before if you're wearing little divots. Obviously, it'll get have to be addressed, but the divot itself is not just the problem. The problem is, is the crud builds up in there and or oxidizes mo- moisture, all kinds of problems, right? And as it wears in there, that actually makes it worse because it creates more friction. Remember, the more friction, the more it's going to wear, right? In fact. David, since we're talking about this stuff, that's a good time to point out that if you are going to be playing a lot of cowboy chords, one of the things you may want to think about is that when you restring your guitar, especially if you're restringing regularly every month or so, you may want to constantly polish your frets. You know, Like I said, a polishing is exactly that. We're not talking about sanding frets. Polishing is like polishing, okay? Keeping a sheen on it. Again, polishing is about limiting friction. And that friction is what's going to cause the problem. And so, the more you limit that, the less you'll have the problem. It will save you money in the long time, in the long term. Sunbase says, "Hey, I have to blame you." Well, why not you and everybody else? <laughs> says, "Okay, I have to blame you. I played bass since 1981. I have 13 basses. After two years of KYG, I added three guitars." well, you know, you're coming to the dark side. It's good. It says, uh, and building a telly with a DiMarzio Super smart Distortion and a PAF, I'm having fun learning uh, lead now. You know, like I said, I, I'm i a bass player primarily. I've been playing bass for my pretty much my whole life. You know, um, the entirety of me playing guitar, my entirety of playing music my whole life is, is definitely 80, 70, 30. 70% has been bass and bass the whole time, but 70% of it just bass, where I just went years without playing guitar. I went... Probably four years, maybe five years, and I didn't play guitar. And on, on top of that, I can tell you since I've been playing music, I can tell you two or three years I didn't even own a guitar, just bass. Um, but I love guitar and exactly that. There's just things I love about each instrument. I wish I had the passion for piano I do for guitar and bass, because I'd like to add that too. But I you know, I, I play piano a little bit here and there, I learned the basics, and it's just to me it's just guitar and bass. Um Thank you, Meester, for the, uh, for the, uh, <laughs> it's a thank you. And I think it's a, I don't know. It looks like a cat, but it could be like a Pikachu. <laughs> it says, Rich says, Boogie Fillmore 25 or California Tweed? Help me decide. California Tweed. <laughs> I, Rich, I know I should probably give you reasoning on that. I like the Fillmore 25. I like the California Tweed. California Tweed. <laughs> uh, Hog Rotten says, sorry about the jalapeno beer. Oh, that wasn't your fault. That was my fault. There's still two in the fridge, by the way. (laughs) It says, four peaks made them. Uh, I quit drinking at 40. I'm 60 Sunday. Well, here's first happy birthday. Congratulations. Uh, So think about this. You quit drinking at 40. I started drinking at 38. So, you know, that's uh, something we were, uh, we may talk about on the show once. I never drank like ever. Um, now, when I say ever, so let's say 20, well, because, you know, kids drink sometimes too. They shouldn't, but, you know, that, that that's obviously a thing that happens sometimes. Um, from legal age, 21 to 40, uh, 38, sorry, what am I talking about? 28 to 30, twenty-one to 38, uh, probably four or five beers my whole life, six beers. I couldn't even tell you because I've I never finished one. I just never did it. And then, uh, which is why I tell my kids, don't drink, don't drink until you're older. I found, I found that at, when I hit 38, I learned, uh, about, uh, drinking, not being responsible. That's important at every age, uh, which is important. I'm saying the connoisseur of it, you know, right? Like now it's like about tasting things and trying things. That's really my, my goal is to taste and try things. So funny enough, that's, I, I, I find now I have a lot of friends. So I reason I tell you that hog rotten is I have a lot of friends now. That was the opposite of me. They drink their whole life, and now when we go to hang out, they don't want to drink anymore, and I'm like, no, we should start <laughs> and they're like, no man i I burned on that like you know five years ago, and I'm like, oh, <laughs> so happy birthday and uh no, I enjoyed the uh I enjoyed the jalapeno beer. that's why we did the other one, and we'll do one every once in a while. Some of you guys like it when we do the drinking a thing, and some of you guys don't. ultimately, it's made to be fun and, uh, really kind of break it up the, the, the monotony for me. So, you know, sometimes I want to make this an entertaining, like weekly thing to do, but also sometimes I got to keep it fresh in my head, not for me to keep doing it, but kind of like, you know, (laughs) keep it interesting. Sometimes it's fun. Although I've learned, if you haven't figured out, I really can't drink at all on the show. I mean, it's, I've never, not even making it through a a drink because I got to read so much and do so much. It's just, not conducive to it. Greg Digger Dale says, "Have a pint on me." I I will in the long term, not this weekend though, but in the long term. Um, Huff Daddy seventy five says, "Thanks, Phil." <laughs> no, he didn't say thanks for the tip last week. I learned mine. Minecraft, son, and kids. Oh, he so he learned the song. So uh Huff Daddy was the one where we talked about uh that he played music and but his uh <laughs> they were saying that he 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 had 25 guitars but only knew like one song. Uh, and uh I said we'll learn the song that they like. So he learned the Minecraft song uh and his kids smiled. Awesome. Uh even bought an acoustic since it's my wife's favorite style. Another smart thing, you know, I didn't give that advice, but that's actually definitely smart advice. It says, keep being awesome. I know it's funny. Uh, so he actually figured it out on his own, thank goodness, which is, yeah, if you buy the acoustic, you know, uh, again, we talk about music that some people don't find is music. Sometimes the electric guitar is not music to, to some people. Like I said, they think the acoustic is. So you can play the same thing on electric acoustic. Again, and, and think about what he's achieved. He he played a song and his kids smiled Think about how how powerful that is. We we're talking about those moments. That's a moment. You just got a moment out of this, man. And uh and uh I'm I'm glad to be part of it. I appreciate that. And uh thank you for, for giving me more credit than I deserve. Okay. Polaris, is that what it is? Polaris five eighty nine says, I have a band called I don't know how to say that. Tuber, tuber not. <laughs> See, I'm messing it up. to to, see you should have put the phonetics i can advertise on your channel question mark well i can mention it here but like i said the 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 shows are sponsored by patrons which is why we i don't know how to point to it but that's what the (laughs) that's what fan funded means um like i said if if uh like if somebody wants to give stuff away i used to not do that and then as you guys know i started thinking about going uh we were talking actually the patrons i mentioned this is years ago and they said well you know if you're just giving it away so like stuff i give away i give away you know what i mean stuff like that but sponsorship wise uh i try not to stay away from sponsors because we already have i already have big sponsors uh that would love to to take the show you know what i mean they've, they put interest out, you know? Um, but I, I told him, I said, no, we're paint sponsored. So we're going to stay that way. So we'll stay that way forever. You know, where they say, never say never. I don't know. It's been 251 episodes. So I'm going to say it's getting close to never forever. <laughs> Luke says, Phil started listening to the podcast at the start of COVID and just finished episode 251, uh, which is the, uh, you know, okay. It says, how would you change? Nam to make it more relevant um, I think Nam to be relevant it's it's what they what they missed and what they will continue to miss is when they did the virtual Nams they didn't they don't value them See the problem is <laughs> I always hate these tangents that go on, but this has got to be a tangent. The problem is is people for some reason can only seem to think one way when it comes to the internet and the analog physical world. Let's just say physical, not analog. In other words, there's internet property and then there's physical property. And if you right now, when I say that, don't feel like, what the hell is he talking about? You're exactly what I'm talking about with the name, which is they haven't got it yet, okay? You can own virtual property and it's a thing. And it's not like some made up NFT <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Bitcoin thing that most people don't understand. It's not about that. It's about physically, you have to understand this. Um, this is why I, I'm going to use this analogy. I've tried cause I've had so many friends and especially, uh, family members. And I've tried to explain this to over the years. I'm gonna explain it to you guys this way very quickly. Hopefully it'll help you guys. Um, I want you to imagine right now that I had instead of a, U, a YouTube channel that got, you know, thousands of views, I have a band that thousands of people will come see. Okay. That's an easy thing to understand. We've seen that for a year. And I said to you, let's say you have a business, whether that's the Nam show or a music store. And I said, I would like to play in front of your store and I will bring 10,000 viewers or fans to your store. And then at the end of the show, I will point to your front door and I will ask my fans to any of them that are interested in going in the store or the Nam show to go into the store. Now, you as a business owner would probably go, because most business owners use very simple math because that's way we kind of think. Wow. If I got 10%, right? Of 10,000, that's a thousand people came to my store. If I got 1%, right? Wow. Right? Now, they understand that. You can explain that to somebody. But if I said, hey, I have a channel and 10,000 people are going to watch what I do. And then if I put a link and point to it and say, go to it, if 10%, which is really 6%, but it doesn't matter. If 10% of the people go to the link, that link takes them right to your front door, in your front door, in your store, but it's your website. Does it have value to you? And funny enough, they, so many people can't see that value. Like no, because to them it's not real. It's real when the check clears, as I like to say, as I tell my wife and my kids all the time. I that's my saying by the way all the time. It's real when the check clears. <laughs> okay, it's real when the check clears. Um, obviously, there's people online making money through affiliate programs through all this stuff. So why does that tie into what he's asking about Nam? Exactly that. There should be virtual Nam and there should be physical Nam, and they should be developing both very hard. Instead. They half-ass virtual NAM in my experience, because I went to the virtual NAM. It was a lot of work for me to basically watch them half-ass it. That's my assessment I gave then. And I made multiple videos on it. I put in that time. I got nothing for that time. <laughs> okay. What I'm saying is I, I wanted to invest in that to do that. And it, it was it was very apparent, like I told you guys, that the NAM was poor at they were horrible at educating their, which is their job, by the way. The NAM is an organization that's not only supposed to get musical instrument merchants together and manufacturers together and help. They're here to help the damn industry, <laughs> right? They're here to help. And one of the things they do is education things. They understand education because if you go to the NAM show, you know, they have all these classes and all these uh, uh, talks that they do and all these things, but yet the virtual thing they seem to be lost on. And then on top of that, they're losing insight on the physical part. And I, and I believe this to be true. The reason why they do this is because, again, like I said, it's real in the check clears. To them, internet is like this, not a, it's not a profit center, it's a cost center to them. Well, guess what? You got to turn it into a profit center. <laughs> I love this comment. I use it with businesses all the time. I don't think I've ever told it to you guys, but I say it almost weekly with businesses when I'm on Zoom calls, helping companies with stuff. I'm always on some kind of project with some company. It has nothing to do with my YouTube channel, always to do with something like what we're talking about. And one of the things I will tell them is when I owned a store and a customer came in and I had to teach them about a guitar, that was a cost. It cost me money to explain why a GNL is as good as a Fender. That's a cost. So if GNL made me 30% margin and Fender made me 30% margin, customer walks in the store and says, I want a fender and I go, no, you really want a GNL because it's better. Let me explain why. Even if they did buy the GNL, that time cost me money. And if I made the same money as a fender, where am I as a business, other than maybe valuing the customer and helping the customer make the decision, where is that value to me? So I have to figure that out. The reason why I like that story is this. In a store like that, a lifetime of the industry being in stores, educating customers is a cost. Now there's YouTube channels like me and we are educating customers for a profit. The more I explain to you about this industry, the guitars, the more I make a video about how a treble bleed works, the more money I make, not from the sales of the product entirely, it's the views, it's the, it's the everything. Now, teaching people is a profit center where it used to be the hindrance on the industry when it came to retail, it's now a profit center. For some reason, there are, I don't know, it feels like (laughs) 10,000. feels like to me, because I do it. I'm sure if you guys have a business uh, in an industry, it'll feel like you have 10,000 competitors too. It feels like 10,000 people are trying to do what I'm doing on the internet, um, which is fine. But there's a lot of of competition doing it. So obviously people get it. They get the concept of you make videos that tell people stuff, they watch them, and you make money educating them, (laughs) right? Again, like I said, back to the core of that assessment, what I said it's not a co- it's not a cost now it's a profit the nam in my opinion has not really figured this out yet and their problem is they should have like a lot of businesses before covid had figured it out and now with covid and the world that we're dealing with it's it's not i'm not saying it's too late cuz i don't know i don't know the answer i'm just saying it's hell right who the hell wants to figure this out now right who wants to figure out how to fix your business during a problem like this, so they're going to have to deal with stuff. Um, I don't know what's going to happen this summer, but I'm curious to see. That will really tell us a lot. Will everyone flock to it because they've been cooped up for so long, or will everybody stay away from it? Not because of the actual fear of COVID—that's one factor—but also this thing. My understanding is Fender's not even going to the NAMM show this year. They don't—they don't need it. <laughs> they can educate their dealers through online training. So they don't need to physically and they can get the deal, the orders online. So I could they maybe they changed their mind, but as last I heard, they're not going. And that's a big deal. And if anyone wants to know why, we can discuss that also on another another question. Um, okay, Lunamatic says, Hey Phil, here's a beer, here's for to the beer fund. Have you had a chance to try Russia's beer? I apologize. I want to apologize right now because I don't, because it was on the label and I didn't write it down for here for the show. Um, but a viewer from Canada, cause I know it came from Canada, sent me rush beers. I think they sent me four. So I have them in the fridge. I have rush beers. Another viewer, which is very kind of you sent me the, um, uh, Texas toast has their own line of beer. So you guys sent that to me. Um, so I have them. like I said, I'm not going to do it all the time. I don't want to do the, the drunken reviewer. <laughs> Although that's, Hey, you want to start a channel, start the drunken reviewer. See how it goes for you. Um, I'm not going to do it, but Like I said, uh, I said maybe the end of the month every month, but I'm probably going to now just do it like once a month. I think one episode a month. And everyone seems to like it. I had a few people who are like, they didn't like it, but overall, overwhelmingly, it was overwhelmingly people liked it. So uh, I may continue to do it as a once a month thing, or I may add it as a bonus show. We'll see. Definitely it's going to happen. So there's, like I said, it's not a, I I don't seem to ever react to the, when three people tell me they don't like something, it never seems to matter. In fact, actually when 30% of the people tell me they don't like something, it doesn't seem to react to me. But if I was going to care, I definitely would have cared what the companies thought a while back ago. Um, So there you go. MP Kramer, thank you for the super chat. I appreciate that, man. TMC Buns Schwab oh look he even put it oh thank you for putting the phonetics it's t mick i wouldn't there's no way i would have got t mick from TMC. i guess oh t mick mc like mick like my name mick buns Schwab. i see it now see the problem with having a channel where you have to read these names is i was in the license plate game and the high going on the road i was not only the worst at it but i wouldn't participate half the time I would play, uh, what's that stupid football game that we had with the red lights that didn't seem like it ever worked? I would do that in the car <laughs> or read a book. Uh, so uh, I I wish now if I could go back, I would have played the license plate game. So T. McBunchwap says, hey, Phil, in your opinion, what do you think a Gibson Les Paul standard should be perfect at? Oh, priced at. I'm sorry, priced at. Have uh, a Keystone ice cream on me. Thank you. Look, um, I, I don't actually have an opinion of what it should be priced at. Here's why. I don't care if Gibson prices their guitars at $10,000. Okay. Um, and when I say I don't care, it's, uh, I do. I, <laughs> it seems, I don't want to be glib, right. But, uh, cause I don't really mean to be, I'm just trying to say it's, it's, here's, here's what I care about. And, and I'll, I'll come back to the Gibson thing. I'm not going to sidestep the question, but I got to talk about what I really care about what i really care about is that somebody makes good guitars at a price that everyone can afford that seems to be the important thing because we've seen what it does uh, th- like like earlier um uh hog rotten he's hog rotten is going to be 60 this sunday okay a 60 year old uh hog rotten can tell you this as much as we like to complain about the prices in the music industry cuz it's it's real to us it's been expensive the inflation's been horrible the reality is When Hog Rotten started playing guitar, it was crazy expensive. Um, Crazy. Like, he couldn't, you know, most people did not walk in a music store. And he's not old, by the way. 60's not old. I'm just, it's just, that's a place in time where that age makes sense with what I'm going to tell you. Um, You you, you know, the average kid, teenager person was not walking in a music store and buying a Gibson or Fender and walking out. That's not how it worked. They were going to Sears or Montgomery Ward, or buying used, of course, Um, and, or buying, you know, all kinds of off-brand guitars. So it's, again, it's become more affordable now to buy a guitar when it comes to the fact that, and here's why I know that. When somebody says, uh, like, you know, obviously the price is ridiculous, which I don't disagree with how it feels. When they say, like, this guitar is not worth $1,500, I never pay that, I understand that. But when somebody says, this is ridiculous, you know, they're pricing themselves on the market, I go, here's the problem with that. I don't care what number you say you have. If you have a hundred dollars today. Uh, I mean, I, you know, it's going to get stupid if you go 20 bucks, but if you have a hundred dollars, if you have $200, if you have $300, $400, $500. yeah, I'm gonna keep going. $600, $700, $800, $900, $1,000. I don't care which one of those you say you have right now. I can find you a good guitar. Absolutely. You at all those price points, you can find a good instrument that allows you to play music, create music, can you find the guitar that sings like an angel and has the, the fire of a demon, right, or whatever the hell it is, and the most exotic top woods and all that stuff? No. But can you find a good guitar at every single one of those price points? Absolutely. Even in today's inflation, even in craziness. So, it's in, so here's what's great. Gibson is going to obviously keep pricing until we can't take it anymore. They're no different than Harley Davidson. They're no different than car manufacturers, everybody else that's basically going to keep pushing and pushing until they can't push anymore. And, um, what I can tell you is, is, uh, what should it be priced at? I don't know where they price it out now. I think they're, tw- here's what's sad. I think a Gibson Les Paul. Standard is $2,500. Is is it 25? I haven't looked. It's 20. Is it 28? I don't know. What should it be priced at? I don't know. Uh, I think that question, and again, again, I know it's a a real question for you. Um, what I can tell you is this, uh, what I would like to pay for a Gibson Les Paul standard new or used. Oh, I'd like to pay $1,800. That's where I'd like to pay That's. But you know, those days are gone. Um, But I can tell you, you can find great guitars that are as good as a Les Paul standard. Like I said before, one of the things that I don't see being talked about a lot on the internet, which is something I kind of keep trying to bring back into these conversations is the difference between the collecting side of things and the actual playing side of things. They can be one and the same, but they also can be different. And I'm not, and I don't think either one, it seems like everybody wants to villainize one or Holy Grail, the other side of it. It's all stupid. Here's what it really comes down to, Okay some guitars are collectible. They're investments. They're no different than anything else that you collect and invest in. Some people collect in watches. Some people invest in, you know, all kinds of things. Uh, the, the reality is, uh, um, I have a PRS SE and I absolutely love it. I play it. I don't think of it as like, Oh, what a good place to put my money. I think of like, this is a fun guitar and I like playing it. But when I play a PRS core guitar, I don't think of it as a good investment. So, but I know it's a investment because it has this timeless effect. So I think that there's a little bit of that going on, and I've seen this because, as you guys know, I've interviewed tons of of professional guitar players, and they seem to talk exactly like we do when you talk to them. Normally, they tend to talk exactly like, "Yeah, I play this guitar on stage, but I own two of these." You know how many guitar players that have their own signature guitar like to tell you, like, "Oh yeah, I play my signature guitars, but for fun, I have a you know <laughs> a Yamaha acoustic," and I'm like, "That I love," and I'm like, "Really? You know." eric johnson's got a great interview where he talks about i think is it a squire it's something like that he absolutely loves and he plays all the time and it was kind of funny so uh because it's like said it tells you that we're all the same in the idea that some guitars we like because they're fun and they're inexpensive some guitars we like because they're expensive and they're uh, exotic um but to answer your question i think i'd like to pay 18 but you know Obviously, whatever they're charging at this, the, the reason, the reason I say this is Fender and Gibson and, and, and PRS and, and all those guys, whatever they're charging, it's probably the right price because they know their market. They know how to sell guitars. That's uh, right. They didn't get that way. They didn't, cause they didn't know. Now, the better part of that question is really, what do you want to pay for it? I don't know what you want to pay for it, but like I said, I, w- I would like to pay 18. It would make me feel a lot better if I was going to in that market for that guitar. Um, and I'm thinking in my head now, here's what I'm trying to think. Cause I own a Les Paul standard. I'm trying to think if I even paid 18 for mine. <clears throat> I don't think I did. I think I paid 16 for mine back when that was a thing. Um, Steve Wright says, I visited Chicago music exchange this week. Oh, we talked about that. He says, I fell in love with a 64 journeyman relic. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> What's the best way? Because I like the journeyman relic guitars, obviously. Um, what is the best way to negotiate a good deal on a custom shop instrument online? Never owned a custom shop. Look, if you're talking to Chicago music exchange guys, um, I, I, I can only give you a guess, but I've, I've bought many things for them. They're pretty cool. And they're going to on face value, do what they're supposed to do as a dealer for fender. They're going to hold the brand, you know, Uh, like they're supposed to. They're going to tell you that's the price. I can tell you, um, here's what I can tell you, Steve, if this helps. I would call and talk to them, first of all. Okay. I know you're in the store, but physically talk to them on the phone. Okay. Um, And um, when it comes online, like I said, nothing beats person to person interaction, nothing. People treat people differently than when you type and putting in print things. You understand dealers I I was a dealer for 13 years I tell you that because I'm going to tell you what they're going to tell you or what they're what they're thinking You're paranoid you can't trust people okay sadly enough So when somebody emails you and says hey man will you do this guitar for 10% below map you're thinking oh crap what if they just take this and shop it to another dealer and then they take it to Fender and I'm breaking map <laughs> right So verbally on the phone it's a lot easier I would imagine and again you might get a better deal but I'm going to tell you uh, what I did I have um my, uh, sixties journeyman right there. Um, I paid out the door, the no tax. That's what I did on mine. Now, in my situation, I offered the dealer cash and they said, okay, tax out the door cash. That was easy. Uh, in your situation, you can't really uh, uh, do cash cause you're online, but you can buy direct and not pay. And, and, and you can, uh, pick the, uh, the least, uh, expensive fees for them. So maybe credit cards are more more expensive than PayPal. Um, You know what I mean? But I would just call them and talk to them. I would see if you could tax out the door, 10% off. That's what you're shooting for, 10% off. Ask for whatever you want. You can ask for 15, right? I'm just telling you what I did. I I feel like what I needed was someone, (laughs) like I said before, when it comes to saving your money, I need someone to help me justify this expense, which was a big expense. As you guys know, I bought that Gibson custom shop that didn't work out. You know, I went back and then I was like, okay, you know, just like a lot of you guys now, like I had it in my head, I was going to have this great guitar experience and I kind of wanted it. And I thought, well, what was my second runner up? Which I'm really glad I went with the second runner up because it was better than the first one. And in that case, that's why I said, if I could just save a little bit of money and tax out the door was easy. Um, and, uh, to be fair, I didn't even, cause my friend Eric's with right there and he might be watching. And if he's watching, he's going to like, that's not what happened. I didn't ask for a tax out the door. So, you know, Uh, So, you know, I just want to be clear. So give you, when you ask me how I asked for a discount, in that particular case, I didn't ask for a discount at all. Uh, He, I said, uh, he goes, he handed me the guitar, I played it, and I said, I'll take it. And I said, I have three ways I can pay. I can pay cash, credit, or debit. Which one would you like? And he said, well, cash is king. And I said, okay. And then he went and rung me up, and said, I can get you at tax out the door. Right. Um, which he didn't say it that way, but that's what it was. He ate, 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 it's eight and a half percent where I live. So he, he, they ate and 9% off the price. So I could get it out the door for the, the, the sticker price. Um, and he did that. So in your case, I would just call him up and say, Hey, I really want this guitar. You know, is there any, any, anything you can do tax out the door, free shipping? Well, they do free shipping. You get the idea. Just ask, call him and ask. And the reason I tell you the reason why I call, same with that guy. You gotta understand, those guys, uh, when you talk to them, just like when I was doing it, it's like you're hoping that when I give you that deal, you're gonna come back again, right? The kind of guy, Steve, you're the kind of guy apparently looking at a 64 Journeyman relic, okay? It's an expensive guitar, okay? Those guys are not as many as you you know you can imagine so when somebody buys that caliber guitar those expensive guitars you tend to want them to keep coming back because guitar players come back that's the reality and to be honest with you, you should treat everybody that way but they definitely will treat the more expensive buyers that way um <laughs> the panda says what about the gear buying challenge i saw you guitar panda or sorry i went to guitar the panda uh at the beginning of the show i was i popped in and i was watching what you guys are typing and he said he failed the challenge because he bought some stuff uh if you guys thank you guys for indulging my dad joke last week of the whole don't buy on february 28th or 29th 30th and 31st uh it was a little bit of a dad joke but it, it made me laugh and i hope it made you guys laugh too that was funny um so uh, Stephen Barton says, Hey, the best pickups you recommend for an ES-335 custom build made by a Luthier. Not sure what pickups suit this style guitar. I play rock and blues. So I'm assuming that you're having the guitar built and you haven't picked the pickups yet, or you're going to replace the pickups. His uh, Okay. Best pickups you recommend for an ES-335 that's custom built. So I don't know if you have the pickups and you don't like them, or if you just want good quality pickups. Um, if I was going to do ES-335 pickups sadly enough, I like Gibson's pickups. Like I keep saying, but, um, definitely, uh, Lawler's pickups are amazing. Lindy Fraylin makes great pickups. You know what I mean? I, if you're going to do a custom, here's what I can tell you. If you're going to do a custom build and you're going to do a ES335 custom build, which means once you put the electronics in there, or if you got to redo it, you don't want to keep doing it again. It's not a fun process. It's not hard. It's just not fast. Um, I would pick something really, really good. Um, Wolf Tone makes great pickups. I mean, there's a ton of just really amazing 59 PAF style. I would definitely stick PAF style guitar pickups in there. Definitely in that 8K, 9K range, right? And uh, those brands I just mentioned are some of the best out there for sure for that style of guitar and that pickup that that thing. Also, uh, just throwing some suggestions, the Eric Johnson humbuckers from DiMarzio are fantastic for es 35s A little less money, too, and, and really, really nice. Most people don't know that Eric Johnson has a humbucker pickup. Volkhammer says, hey, Phil, any recommendations on, all, on an all-purpose 112 cabinet for use with my variety of smaller amps? Well, you said all-purpose cabinet. You're not really saying affordable cabinet. One of the things I will tell you first, cabinet 112 cabinets that I like for the price point, I want to say the EVH 112 is a great cabinet for the price point. The eggnator stuff, when you can you can still find that stuff, really good price for the 112 cabinet range. The problem right now, man, is that most the, like everything, the 112 cabinets have really skyrocketed in price. Some of the Mesa Boogie cabinets now, some of the, the expensive one, some of the higher end 112 cabinets, it's out of the park for expense. What I would say is really all for 112 cabinet, you know, if you're not going to be too picky, I would just decide, do you want open back or close back? And then what kind of speaker do you want? So I would say, like I said, look at the EVH one, look at the Agnator one. I'm trying to think of other good price point ones. If you can find Jet City ones, those are usually a pretty good deal price. Um, my my favorite 112 cabinet, I have a, a bunch, but the one I like is just like, I, I like the Paul Reed Smith 112 that they don't make anymore. Um, because it's really a mojo tone cabinet. It's all pine, and it's a sealed back all pine cabinet, which sounds doesn't sound that exotic, but that's actually really unique. Usually, you see open back pine cabinets are open back. This is a, a closed back pine cabinet. I really dig it uh, with a V30 in it. Um, they're expensive though. If you can find them, they don't make them, but they still have them because they weren't very popular. For, you know, for dealers, um, six hundred bucks new, which. Used to be ridiculous, but now is becoming in line with what cabinets are going for. Uh, I'm gonna say Ace Ace Ackerman says, "Hey Phil, my name's pronounced Ace. <laughs> I did it." Says, uh, "What are your thoughts on the Two Rock Studio signature? Or their amps are comparable? Thank you." Um, so I have a Two Rock st- signature. I have the 35 watt one. It's a really cool amp. It's definitely the John Mayer thing. Um, I'm sure there's a ton of reasons why you'd want a Two Rock. But for most players now, I think John Mayer's just fueled that fire of two rock uh, amps. Um, it's you know the thing is to me is it's supposed to be like kind of like the Fender you know supposed to be the ultimate pedal platform amp. I really like it. I like it more than my Doctor Z Maz eighteen, which is what that you know, I told you guys, I don't get anything, uh, unless something goes. So when it, something comes in, I kind of know what might be going because of that. And the, the Maz 18 was the consider consideration of what I was thinking about getting. rid as much as I love the Maz 18, you know, I was kind of like, well, maybe the two rocks a little nicer. I like the two rock. I like it a lot better, uh, than the Maz 18 for what, for what I do. Um, it's really cool, but I can tell you right now, this is probably gonna make you all crazy. Uh, <laughs> you two rock fans. Um, I love my two, that two rock. I love it, but I like my Princeton still more for lower volume and mid volume playing. And I like my, my Paul Reitzman custom 50. And the only thing that makes me laugh about that is again, you know, to get the, as you guys know, if you're into two rock amps, uh, it's a serious weight to get one in stock and then used. they go for almost new. So getting one's kind of a pain in the ass. So I kind of went through the hell to get one and uh and paid the price and now that i've done that i'm not too eager to get rid of it (laughs) because you know what i mean but now that i've had it i spent some time with it i love it i would never get rid of my custom 50 by prs uh for it and which is funny because the custom 50 i think you still pick up for 800 bucks used and so it's a fraction of the price of that amp and uh and again, we're not saying it's as good. I'm not saying it's good or it's just what I prefer. I prefer that. But I like the Two Rock. Um, the Two Rock, I put on the list of amps to review because it's such a weird amp. And then I talked about putting it against the Tone King Imperial. I noticed that if you notice, I didn't do that video. The reason is because they're just too different. They're just not in the same... I don't know why anyone that was looking at a 2-Rock would get the Imperial or vice versa. They're both great amps, but they're just not close enough to make that decision. Other than they're both kind of pricey, that would be the only logic. I was thinking like, oh, they're going to be closer because they're more Fender-esque, but they're different Fender animals. Chad said, thoughts on Carvin Guitars. Any other American builders like Carvin, not named Gibson? You know, the problem is, obviously Carvin is now Kiesel. The problem is, is that Kiesel really has the best $4 semi-custom product on the market in the US. It is hard to beat. I mean, for what they do, you got you, to you understand, there's great, I can point you at a thousand great small luthier shops across the country that I highly recommend. In fact, I did a 50 state video where I recommended a few um, that make great guitars and they're pretty affordable compared to some of the big competitors like Gibson and and Sir and stuff like that. However, for the variety of product and the price point, it's hard to beat the Kiesel guys, which is carbon guitars, but it's Kiesel guitars. They are just tough to beat for the price point, and that's with them even inching their prices up over time. Um, if you're talking about made in the USA product, that's like that. Um, I mean, it's tough. You know what I mean? It's tough to talk about anything made in the USA um, That's sub two thousand dollar price points still exist. There's few, but not a lot. Ben says, "Hey, Happy Friday! Uh, new amp week. SLO thirty on the way. Got an EVH fifty watt stealth based on your video." But the SLO gas was still strong. The SLO is exactly that. It's got... It's, again, it's a... The Saldano 30-watt, what they tapped into is they tapped into everyone wanted one forever, and it was unobtainable. It's unobtainable now. I mean, let's be honest. It's a crazy price point amp. Crazy. See? I'm just holding my face because it hurts thinking about the prices on some of these amps. Um, But, I, I mean you know, the Saldano's back in the day, first of all, hundred watt one, and then four or five grand. I mean, it was just crazy. Um, but yeah, it's a, I mean, it's, it's a crazy amp. So, and I understand everybody seems, every one of my friends too, seem to have the gas. I can tell you this. If you have a friend that has a Saldano, let me tell you what I can tell you about Saldano SL30s that are interesting. Everyone I know, and I'm not exaggerating, like every well, I'm exaggerating because it's not every single person know. Nine out of 10 of my friends want an SLO 30. Every single one of my friends that came over and played my SLO 30 did not buy one. (laughs) They said the same thing. Oh, it's great. I don't need it. (laughs) It's it's like, it's a great sounding amp. I think you're going to be happy. I'm glad you have one coming. Obviously, I have one. I didn't get rid of it. Um, You know, uh, but... I said this before, you know, like I said to the Ingleball, Ingleball, uh, Ingle Fireball 25 is like the poor man's SLO 30. I kind of stick by that. It's not that I'm saying they sound the same. I'm just saying you can get a lot out of an amp that's 1200 bucks. that's made, you know, in Germany, that's got the attenuator and a noise gate, that the SLO is better. I mean, better is a tough word, but you know what I mean? It seems like it's got more going on. It's got more, you know, beefier sound. There's some things going on, but for the price point you could really be happy that's kind of the core of what i did on the video if you noticed and i think ben caught that because when i was talking about the evh you know it's not that the evh was better or the sildano was better just when you look at those price points i could be totally happy with evh totally (laughs) there's nothing about the evh that made and and when i play a sildano on the evh when i went back and forth that made me go there's no way i'll ever be happy unless i have the slo 30 it's the greatest amp ever um, somebody sent me a message. The problem is they messaged me through Instagram. I'll tell you guys right now. If you're messaging me through Instagram or Facebook or anything, you have no shot. I pull that stuff. Sometimes it catches my eye on the phone and then I go, oh yeah, I should look at that stuff. And then I pop in and then I go to respond and I just don't. So the reason I tell it's like, it's, it's the hardest way to get a hold of me because I'm just not really into that. I don't go on those sites that much. Um, and when I do, I just don't spend enough time to actually respond, but the, I saw a message and it said, I saw you got the Bogner ecstasy, the 30 watt one. Do you like that more than your Saldano? And, um, I did get the Bogner after the Saldano. I got it when I sold my Archon and I do like it more than Saldano. And it, uh, but when I say like it more, I don't think they're the same, but for the fact that it was six, $700 cheaper and it was still quality up, it has three channels. I liked it more. All right. Thank you guys so much for hanging out. As always, I want to thank you guys so much for your time. Till next week, know your gear.